Welcome to this special edition of Success Life Live. This is a special edition because it's a replay of a Fun Friend Friday interview I did with my friend Jennifer McClure Spurgeon. I have to honor her for her courage, her boldness, her openness, and just her resilience. She's in the middle of battling cancer for the second time, and she made the decision to go live and go public with it so that others could learn from her experience. And so during this interview, she talks openly about her medical issues and about the emotional and financial struggles, about the doubts and fears that she had, about how she had to learn to ask for help and ultimately learn to surrender all. So I hope you sit back, relax, and listen in to this very special interview with my friend, Jennifer McClure Spurgeon. If you're listening to this show, it probably means you're hungry for change and hungry for growth and ready to start building your life of success. Living your life of success is possible and this show can guide you to the mindset, habits and routines that will let you build your life of success starting now with your host, Eric G. Reed. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's Success Life Live and our Fun Friend Friday edition with my friend Jennifer McClure Spurgeon. She'll be jumping in here in just a minute. In the meantime, as you log in, whether you're watching in the live or the replay, the podcast, the YouTube, drop a comment, drop a hello, drop a connect. Let us know you're in the room. Good morning, Elizabeth. I hope you're having positive energy and happy healing time. Um, drop a comment, say hello, connect with the community because after all, Success Life is a community. It's a community of like-minded people building a better life for themselves. And we have chosen to attack our life head on and to be intentional about the change that we want to create. Instead of drifting along like, you know, some dead old piece of wood, we actually get in there and make it happen. And so I encourage you, as you step into the room, take a moment, say hello, say good morning, welcome the rest of the crew to the team, so to speak. So good morning, Miss Gail, I see you jumping in as well. Jennifer will be with us in just a minute. I'm going over here, I know, it's a long reach. Just double checking our message board. So, ah, uh, what a busy morning already. You know, um, summertime with kids home and trying to work from home, it gets a little chaotic. I'm just gonna say, from time to time, it gets a little chaotic. Looks like everything is good on this end. And so, don't forget, um, get the housekeeping out of the way. Just gonna do that real quick. So don't forget, we've got Fun Friend Friday today. We've got Q&A Wednesday. I need your cues to create some A's, or if you want to give me some A's, I'll take your cues. You tell me what, but Q question and answer Wednesday. Um, and that's on the personal and professional development side. You tell me what you need, and I'll see what I can do to make it happen. And then Tuesday is newsletter day. Um, sorry about that. Tuesday is newsletter day. And if you have been subscribed, do so, ericgreed.com forward slash subscribe. It's a little mini coaching lesson. It's just a coaching lesson in a box sort of thing. Um, delivered to your email, and as I said the other day, the reason that I did this 
was because I used to get them from Tony Robbins back in the day when he had time to do things like that. And some days it would come to me and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I gotta read that today. And other days I would just file it away. And then when I had time later in the day, later in the week, I'd go back and read it. And it always seemed that it was building a resource of coaching ideas and coaching principles for me to fall back on and then eventually share with you all. So that's really the purpose of the newsletter. It's not to remind you to buy this, sign up for that, and do this for me. No, it's focused on you and focused forward toward you. So let me check and see where Miss Jennifer is. I haven't seen her log in yet, but maybe she's just waking up. Nope, she's not here yet, so I'll give her a minute. Let me just close this down. I know, don't you love the big fat finger? I'm gonna pop over here and check in on her on this side. Uh, no messages, so that must mean she's coming in. So the reason I chose Jennifer today, and I wanted to bring Jennifer to you as part of our Fun Friend Friday guest, was that um, she'll tell the story, but over the last several months, she has been battling cancer. And she has been battling it openly and honestly and sharing it through her Facebook journey. And she'll tell why she made that decision, but what I kept noticing was her courage and her humor and her determination and her honesty. I mean, the honesty part. There were moments that when she was speaking, I was getting a little uncomfortable. And so it was really important that she made me uncomfortable because she was having honest, open, clear conversations about cancer and the battle of cancer and the frustrations that go with it and all of the pieces around it. And I said to myself, I don't know if I could be that honest. I don't know if I could be that vulnerable. I don't know if I could be that exposed the way she's being exposed. Man, that takes courage. That takes, that takes a different level of leadership. And so I wanted to bring her in as a Fun Friend Friday guest simply for that purpose. She's amazing in the way she's taking on this battle. Um, the way she, let me just clear that, there you go. Um, the way she has chosen to live her life and live her life not around cancer, but with cancer is part of the journey that she's on. And so I'm just gonna tap her a quick message. I know she's up and moving because I saw her post earlier today. Don't you love how you can stalk people on Facebook? like? What do you mean you were homesick? I noticed you posted on Facebook pictures of you and the kids at the park or whatever. I saw this post the other day. Come to think of it as we're waiting for Jennifer to log in. Um, the best time to have Photoshop and the guy showed a picture of his car and then he showed a second picture of his car and in the second picture of the car, his tire was flat and he said, this is the one you send to the boss. And sort of he had gone in, taken a picture of his car and then had photoshopped a flat tire and then he was sending a note to his boss on why he was either late or wasn't able to make it in. I thought, you know what, that's what we're gonna start doing. And in the old days, we could just call the office and be like, oh, I guess I throw, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they would believe us. Now we're gonna have to start photoshopping our Instagram and our Facebook and our Pinterest's account just in case the secretary is like scoping us out and trying to see what's going on. So I'll take my kids to the park, but I'll have to photoshop me out of it and say a lovely day my family spent without me, or whatever, uh, in order to get away with being calling in sick, so to speak. So, but let me check again. Uh, there is Miss Jennifer. 
Let me see if I can bring her in. Oh, I hate when my big finger shows up. There we go. And adding her neck, jumping on this side in just a minute. There you are, my dear. Here I Good am. Morning. Good morning. Is it cold there in Washington? Uh, Oregon, and um, we just Oregon, we just love our air conditioning. So um, I'm <laughs> very cozy in my blankie, and I've got a, a a heating pad around my waist too. So <laughs> you sound like my family because of the window. I have like all the windows wide open, and then they're like, "What is this about?" They're like, "It helps you lose weight. It preserves you. That's why people in the the Midwest always looks so much younger is because they've been in a permanent ice pack for six months. <laughs> well, we keep it cold year round for sure. Hey, I've got one thing. Yeah. I was going to pop this up, but then I was late getting on. Thanks for having me this morning. I, this is Ryan Reynolds. So um, appreciate being here. You know, I, 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 I saw, did he make the top 20? Of? That for CNN, um, get to make the debate stage. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'm not sure either. I haven't checked it, but you know, it's sad that there's top 20. Yeah. So good morning, my dearest. How are you? I'm not bad. Um, this is not friendly for, for the West Coasters, but um, I'm here and happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I've said that I need to start shifting around, like have an AM and a PM because we've got some friends like in Australia and London and West Coast that are like, 5 a.m. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you braving it, but think of this: you get the rest of the day to nap. That's right. I will take you up on that. You you can have two naps, one for me and one for you. So good morning. I, as I was telling people before you got a chance to jump in, the reason that I wanted you here is honestly, I don't know if I could have been as bold as you about sharing your journey with cancer and sharing the frustrations and the obstacles from even trying to find a toilet that works for you kind of thing um, and transfer seats and doctors and nurses that were poking in all the wrong places and yet didn't seem to have a clue. And you made that decision. Tell people first a little bit about you when you're not having to talk about the C word and then we'll talk about the C word. Okay. So um, just, to kind of tell you about why I started the journey the way that I did is my husband and I are big movie fans and we have a sickening collection of DVDs because our internet service is kind of weak and obviously we collected before you know the cloud was out there but we have a, an awesome collection of movies and so we actually talk in movie talk so we'll quote lines to each other and it'll be a contest to see who can get the most obscure movie reference. So, um, and you see that I wore my Deadpool movie reference color. Excellent. Excellent. And I do have a Deadpool t-shirt on under here, but it's pretty cold, so I'm not going to show it. <laughs> and so what I, when I thought about, um, going live with this and, and to, to say why is I had a lot of people that wanted to know what was going on. And so it became really burdensome to text. You know, I had, two um, surgery update categories that we would hit a text button when I was in surgery just to say, hey, she's out. Hey, everything went well. And, and I wanted to do it with humor. Um, if you can't keep a sense of humor on this, and this is, you know, if you've seen the movie Deadpool, that was the thing they were trying to kill out of him was a sense of humor. And if you can't keep your sense of humor in this, then it pretty much all is lost because um, 
you know, whether you want to believe it or not, the chemo is, is killing cancer cells just a little bit faster than it's killing you. And it's a race to see which comes first. And so you've just got to stay um, positive about it. And so that's what I wanted to do is to be able to give those updates in a way that kept people um, amused and with me and feeling like, well, she's going through this, but um, you know, she's doing it with a smile and that makes everybody feel better. It was funny because as I was watching your journey, I would, my humor is sometimes sarcastic or a lot of people don't get it the first round. And as I would post something, I was like, I hope she got it, but more <laughs> important, I hope the people reading this don't think I was being rude or sarcastic. And then I was like, you know what, whatever, I'm just gonna be me. And I think that's what really came through as you went through it because there were conversations that I was like turning down the volume and hoping my kids weren't listening mm -hmm. because I didn't know how to explain the conversation to my kids. Mm -hmm. And yet you put it out there in a way that everybody, like regardless of who it was, it was like, I'm sorry, you're an adult. You can turn it off or keep listening, but I'm going to give you the cold hard facts. So as much as you'd like share what you're, cancer is and how it's impacted you physically and the the diagnosis piece I guess okay. you could call it so about six and a half years ago I was diagnosed with stage 1b cervical cancer and um, the the plan at that time was surgical removal we had clear margins of everything we did the surgery laparoscopically and thought we had it all taken care of um, 30 days almost to the day later um, I had a bit of a difficulty. The um, stitching at the top of my vagina didn't hold. And so part of my uh, omentum, which is the, the apron that, that guards between um, your stomach and your intestines, actually came out of my body. And so I had to uh, life flight, emergency life flight, back to Seattle where they repaired all of that, took out the pieces that had seen air and put me back together. So what I thought was a, a quick surgery because it wasn't open abdominal doubled my recovery time. And um, even though that one was still laparoscopic, you know, it was a mess, high powered antibiotics and, and a lot of, of pain there. Um, but fast forward five years after that surgery and um, at, at five years, they tell you you're statistically normal, that you have no more or less odds of getting this back than anyone else. And so I was on a critical so you health. To basically, you hold your breath for five years. Yeah. So I would have um, up, updates, checkups every three months for a while, then every four months, then every six months. And we were just to a year um, when, when they gave me this clean bill of health. And so that was August of last year. And um, so in 2018, I really had decided that I wanted to lose weight. And so I, I began just slowly, you know, altering my diet, paying attention to what I eat, how it impacted me. And I had lost about 20 pounds about that time in the night that I went to that checkup. Um, I think in hindsight now, it had nothing to do with me. And it was all about the tumor pushing on my intestine. But, <laughs> you know, so I would take the credit. I would still take the credit because... Eating those damn rice cakes and salads for a couple of months, you still get the credit. <laughs> well, Even but, you know, it's much more dramatic to say I've lost 90 pounds than to say that I've lost 70 pounds. So, you know, how you, how you yeah, throw yeah. that in there is part of the story. But 
So then long about October, I started not feeling well. And my description of it was um, that my intestines had a trap door. And so I would build up waste until I pushed the trap door open. And then I would be able to go to the bathroom until the trap door sw swung closed. And so I never felt empty. I never felt like I was doing the job right. And so I began to have that conversation with my oncologist. And then um, first part of November, I went into my regular doctor and, you know, we started the CT scan process, which showed something, but we were thinking diverticulitis, um, went on to an ultrasound, had a surgeon ready, still thinking diverticulitis. He wasn't sure. Um, so moved on to a colonoscopy um, where she found such a blockage that she couldn't complete the colonoscopy. And so she biopsied that, but she too felt secure that it wasn't cancer and that it was simply uh, diverticulitis, in fact, had scheduled me with a radiologist to um, poke a hole in that and drain whatever the infection out of that. And so uh, she called me a week later, which was right around Thanksgiving time and just blew my mind. I mean, it's the last thing anybody wants to hear, especially after you've been given this clean bill of health, your brain doesn't, doesn't want to go there. And so, um, you know, I was hysterical and you try to figure out who to tell first and what to tell them. And all you know is it's your cancer's back. You don't know anything more about prognosis, staging, you know, nothing. And so you're left just with holding this bag of crap. And um, so we, I, you know, I immediately called my oncologist. She was able to immediately get all the test results, which, you know, ironically, she hadn't been able to get access to until the big C word came out. And so began kind of that you know, it was pretty fast, all things considered, when you look back on it, but that process was incredibly slow to get the appointment, to get to Seattle, to get the testing, to get the plan. So, so, so here you are, you've crossed over the magic five-year mark. You're kind of doing the little happy dance, like, okay, body has healed, I'm check, everything is good, I'm going to start getting my sexy body back, <laughs> plan for a little beach vacation, drop some pounds moving towards the holiday, thinking, you know what, this is the first holiday season that I get to celebrate in five years that that sea thing isn't going to be hanging on the Christmas tree. And that phone call comes saying, you know, what we thought was just a common infection or a treatable issue looks like it might be. Because they always do it in that it looks like it might be, but we'll have to do some more testing cancer this was this was not that in fact i was feeling so badly um you know at, at points i was starving myself you know when you go through a colonoscopy you can't eat you can only eat clear liquids and so um you know 50 calories a day i was dropping pounds rapidly and not feeling great and so um it was not a happy holiday season to begin with um i was told the first time i had cancer that it couldn't be cancer and so um, when, when they told me it couldn't be cancer, this time I desperately wanted to believe it. So I didn't enter that, that into my mind, but they, they were definite. It was my squamous cell carcinoma. They were, the, the biopsy was definite. And so um, the-, the, the so, as you, so as you hang up the phone, me, I probably would have just dropped it in the toilet and walked out. Um, where does your mind, I mean, does your mind go, I got to be around people, I got to be alone, I got to be in my prayer closet? Like, where does your mind go? You know, for me, I just, I, I basically froze. So I just, I, I, <laughs> I thanked her for telling me. I got off the phone and just 
uh, curled up on the floor and was just screaming and sobbing. And so my husband came in and, you know, he doesn't really know. And so you scream at him, the cancer is back. And it's, it's probably the most devastating moment in anybody's life. Um, and then you start to think of who in your circle needs to know immediately who, who is there to give you that support right away. And so, you know, my brother got the call first, um, my dad, my mom, um, my husband's parents, you know, just rallying that closest circle as quickly as you could, as you can. Um, and then you, you kind of sit back and you're numb, you know, then the next call is to the doctor that's going to save your life. I mean, she did it once. Um, so you're, you're counting on getting through to that next step as quickly as you can, because the process, you know, of getting surgeries and getting things going is very long. So. So. I, so I see you like literally sitting in the middle of the floor. Jokingly, I think it's probably a 1970s shag with some orange <laughs> and brown tone to it. I could see you really loving to live in that 70s sitcom world. Um, and you're sitting there and in walks your husband. It's like, what's going on? And you say, it's cancer. My natural husband response would be to start drilling you with questions. Mm -hmm. Who was it? What happened? What did she say? Is there, and then my second natural response is I'm always there like, okay, let's just breathe. It might not be that bad. They might have misdiagnosed. Like I try and small it down so that I can manage it. Mm -hmm. How was your, what was your husband's response? Well, and what did he do right? And what did he do maybe not so right? Well, quite frankly, I don't remember. That's for those that want to learn from him. Yeah. No, quite frankly, I don't remember. Um, I can tell you <laughs> his first instinct is to, is to ask questions. Um, his second instinct is to get really angry and to go hurt somebody that would cause me this pain. And so there's nobody out there for that. I think um, we had both experienced a lot of frustration with the doctors, with the timing and the scheduling and the not knowing. Um, so there was a lot of frustration about that, um, in him and then helplessness and just that sense of there's absolutely nothing I can do to take this away from her, whatever the state, whatever the case may be. And so, um, uh, you know, he's immediately an action plan guy, which I was too. So it became a call to action. How soon can we get to Seattle and what, what else can we do to get this taken care of? So um, we're very, we're, we're similar in that way. He's learned that there, there's only so many questions I can tolerate um, because in a lot of cases I don't have answers. And in a lot of cases, those answers may not matter in that moment, you know? So whether it's six centimeters or 20 centimeters or one centimeter, I don't care. I've just got cancer back. And so, um, you know, we, we tabled some of that and, more more to the point it wasn't that initial moment because he was supportive he was there he was just physically present which is as much as anybody can do in that moment um it was the days after when when the clock ticks and even though you all you know is you have cancer but it's laying against the intestine because that's where you got the biopsy and so online research is such a double-edged sword um you know i'm reading metastatic 
squamous cell in intestines, it's a 0.2% survival rate. You live three months. And so I'm reading this thinking that they biopsied my intestine and that's where the cancer was. When in fact, it was outside and when she took the biopsy, she punctured through my colon and took the biopsy outside of the colon, which changed everything. So being the guy that needs to get all the answers, that's, you know, I drop into, as we know from disc profile and the John Maxwell team, I drop into that D personality, that DC side of me. Give me the facts and give me the direction that I need to go to solve the problem and let's not discuss it. When you're dealing with this, both as like assuming that I'm the partner of the spouse and also as the patient, when does fact finding get in the way of checking in with yourself? Like I can get so consumed in knowing that I'm not really knowing myself. Like I'm not processing it. I'm not being connected to it. I try and go outside of myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. So about two o'clock in the morning. How do you balance that? How do you find like, wait a minute, I need to go back to me versus I'm hiding over here in the facts. Uh, it's about, it happens about two o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep because the fear, the unknown is so strong that at two o'clock in the morning you hit, because I'm an SC. And so um, I hit. <laughs> You're the worst. Exactly. <laughs> I leave emotion when I can't take it anymore and I go do research, which is not particularly helpful in this case. And so I would go find, um, find papers, you know, written by doctors. I'm not out on Wikipedia and some of that on the edgy stuff. And I'm reading about the one patient in the world that had the, the metastatic cancer in her colon. And then I'm reading about um, tumor size. And then I'm reading about, you know, they, what stage am I? Well, this, nobody will give me a stage. And it, it goes to what's called recurrent. But um, recurrent with my size tumor, my size tumor doesn't live, but recurrent in the pelvis with no lymph node involvement does live. And so I'm really not on a chart. And so it's, it's both frustrating and hopeful at the same time. And so you live on this razor's edge of, I'm going to live, it's coming back. And you, 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 no one can tell you different. So I want to kind of go back to the 2 a.m. piece. Because for me, and I'm speaking from my perspective, I could live every minute outside that 2 a.m. and be fine. When I had to go in and have my AAA order, um, see, I didn't do the research, abdominal <laughs> aneurysm, whatever it was, the thing that was going to blow up if I didn't get it fixed. I was like, I'll be fine. I'll see you guys in about an hour and 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Doctor, let's go under and I'm in and out. I just like, I live in denial when it comes to medical, I guess. I could live outside that 2 a.m. very easily. I could not live within that 2 a.m. How did you manage that 2 a.m. time when, so to speak, the internet was shut down and you couldn't do your research or hide in research? Um, what, what is it that gets you from 2 a.m. to 3 a.m.? There was prayer, there was a lot of friends. Um, and, you know, I was still, I was pretty bedridden and until December 19th, when I got to my doctor, I didn't know. So I was still afraid, like, like your situation, I was going to blow up my intestines with that this tumor that it, 
it would be so blocked that something I ate would cause it to explode and I would splatter a tumor all over the inside of my intestines. And so I was still down to 50 calories at a time. And so I was, I, I began to be obsessive about controlling my diet um, to the point where I, I was anorexic. Your phone's slipping a little. Sorry. There you go, dear. It's cute. It's like watching you slip down into the couch. <laughs> And you do it at such a point in your moment when you're talking that it just, it, it's like theater, theater, <laughs> like, like Hitchcock theater for you, my movie buff friend. So, so you start to get some information. December 19th, you go into the doctor for the month of December, you're basically getting your test results to find out which college you get admitted to, mm -hmm. so to speak. With all of the information, did that change the 2 a.m. story? So after meeting with the doctor, it was it was a total transformation. Um, so when she described the tumor as being outside of my intestine, independent of my intestine, and not metastatic, it it changed everything. So um, I I was able to eat with more confidence. Now I still had the blockage, so I had to stay on a low fiber diet and you know things that were easy to pass through that stricture. But I didn't fear that I was going to blow myself up every time I ate, and so um, that began to change everything. Um, I still didn't eat a lot because obviously I had a, I had a blockage. Um, so I guess the, the piece for that is sometimes too much knowledge takes away. Well, wrong knowledge. Too much knowledge isn't a good thing. I mean, it was wrong knowledge. I, I didn't know, but I went to the place that ooh, I could see. Ooh. Come back to that. It was the wrong information. Yeah, it, it just wasn't You fat. were trying to live outside your area of expertise. Mm -hmm. And the waiting was killing me. So I was trying to find something I could hang my hat to where I could do action over the next couple of weeks, where I could take some form of beneficial action over the next couple of weeks. Which I think is a really good lesson that not all action is beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And that sometimes we need to evaluate the actions we're taking and ask ourselves, is this really, how is this really helping me? Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes the way I approach things when I'm like, look, I don't know. And what I don't know, I don't know. So I'll just wait until I know. Well, it's, and I'm not the expert in this area, so I'll wait until the expert in this area tells me. Sitting in that moment. And some people will be like, yeah. Sitting in that some moment is hard. Some people tell me it's like you're living in a cloud. And I'm like, no, I'm just not going to consume myself with something I can't manage. Yeah, that, that was beyond me. That, uh, at that point, sitting and knowing that he is God, I wasn't. You know, I, and I would have moments. Enough, no, it. no, I, but I would have moments where I would be able to just not deal. That it was okay, that I was going to be okay. And I would have moments of, you know, not doing the research. I would have moments of just waiting. And, um, but certainly it wasn't the whole time, obviously. And, um, you know, reading the colonoscopy report, it said that the mass was external, but I'm not a doctor. I don't know how to read those. And so what, <laughs> you know, so it, so it grew on the outside, but, but what, where did it start? Where did it come from? And so, you know, once we found that out, it, it really, the, there was a huge weight lifted. And, um, you know, the... So I think, there's a, I think there's a piece of advice for anybody in that's in or may come into that is maybe allow the experts to do what the experts do. You 
don't go searching the internet and the wife, you know, like we, to, because the reality is until you have the facts, you can't do the research that's relevant to the facts and you're just going to consume yourself with fear. Absolutely. And the other piece is when I scheduled that appointment, I could certainly have said, what can I do between now and that appointment? What can I, you know, is there anything I can know about my circumstances between now and my appointment? And, you know, maybe see if there was some additional information that I could have received from that. Which is funny, because when I go back to this AAA order, whatever it is, I'll have to have Gail tell me again. The only, I asked that question to my doctor was like, well, I wouldn't play tackle football for the next week. And I'm like, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think I can avoid playing you know, middle mm -hmm. linebacker on the Dallas Cowboys for a week or two. I said, anything else? He's like, you know, it's been there with you for the last week or two or longer. Just lay low, be cautious, and monitor your body. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you get the diagnosis, you get the treatment plan. You now have your playbook, which has got to make you feel somewhat happy because you're a C personality and you want those facts, figures, and that, and you start building your charts and your van pool schedule, et cetera. How does that change the 2 a.m., 3 a.m. conversation? Well, obviously the research I was looking at was different, but um, let, me, let me go back a little bit. You know, right before the appointment, I had started to get so frustrated that I was looking for second opinions. And so we had sort of tentatively made an appointment with one of those for-profit cancer institutes and, um, then they said they wouldn't take my insurance. And so that was off, which, you know, turned out to be for the best. But, um, you know, making the list when you're in this position, I don't care if you're a C or not, um, the list flies out of your head. And so it's important to take somebody with you to remember the question you're going to forget, um, to, to have them make that list with you. Because obviously my husband's going to have different questions and, and he asks a million questions, so he needs to be able to ask all of those. Um, the other thing, and this is kind of something I'd done with, with my oncologist throughout, is when the cancer came back after being told I had a clean bill of health, that was a violation of my trust. And so when, you, when I went into the appointment, the doctor said, or the, the nurse practitioner said, um, you need to get undressed from the waist down. And I said, no, I need to see the doctor first. And I had done that after my first surgery went bad. Because at that point, this didn't go textbook, so you don't get access to my body until we figure out what happened. And I don't know if that's just personal to me, or but until we can reestablish that trust relationship, you don't get access to my body. And so um, she's always been, you know, more than willing to do that, to have that initial discussion um, before we do the exam. But I think... I think that's an important conversation that I have never heard before, because if I'm going to trust you with my body, so to speak, that's not just the physical thing, but that's the spiritual, the emotional, the, the, the entire thing. And if you're telling me that this pill is going to make me better and I take it with lack of trust, no matter how magical that pill is, my mind has the ability to cancel everything that you're trying to do. I can create the illness. I can create the negative mm -hmm. here that everything that you're doing from here down is going to be a failure. 
And I think we often forfeit the need for trust with our physicians, our doctors, our experts, because they come in and they've got their little coats and their pens. And we have only got 30 minutes for you. So we don't have time to build trust. We don't have time to build a relationship. I got to get your temperature, your blood pressure. I've got to poke, prod and listen to your deep breathing. And we got to be out the door. Yeah. That if you can't have that trust, what's the point in walking in the office? Mm -hmm. And she's never been that way, <laughs> which is why we've, I've stuck with her for the last seven years. Um, she's always had time, even if she didn't have time, to make sure that all of my questions were answered, that I was comfortable with the exam process, that I was able to ask her anything that, that I needed asked. And so that's what makes her, in my mind, an excellent doctor, because you're exactly right. If you have that um, assembly line mentality, I don't feel valued as a person, so how can I know that my treatment is quality? So if we played off the disc thing, then there would be different ways of establishing trust with each of the different personality types. Mm -hmm. And because you reflected that you are a C, which is somebody who likes to gather facts and figures and information. I'm an S first. As well as an S. I'm an S first. Well, okay. And a C as is much well as later. As there is that we need to balance. We need to equal. I need to feel like you're hearing me and that I have, that I'm part of this because you S is like that community mm -hmm. sisterhood feeling. And the way that I can establish that is to have some questions answered in a way that I feel as if you're listening and that they're specific to me and my needs. Absolutely. For me, being a high eye, if he just walks in and goes, hey, dude, how you're doing? You look great. I'm like, okay, you got my trust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't be afraid to look at who you are and say, how do I feel trust or how do I build trust or what makes me feel as if I'm trusting and then ask that from your caregivers ask that from the people around you and say look this is what I need in order for me to continue this journey and on this journey you're my guide you're my host you're my you know cruise director but I'm not going to jump on the boat unless I feel like I trust you and I think that's big I also like the idea uh, remember to take somebody with you. Mm -hmm. And maybe it isn't necessarily a spouse, but you have a chemo buddy, like uh, tomorrow talks about, having somebody that's there to sort of take the notes, keep the records, remember the facts, because you're gathering the information and trying to process it from both the intellect, but also, okay, what does this mean? Like the emotions are going crazy and you're trying to get it all in, and it's like preparing your first Thanksgiving dinner for the in-laws. Right. Having that person that's there to sort of hover around it and make sure all the questions and appointments and things are recorded. Um, that's critical because it allows you to experience it instead of have to manage it. Well, and that's true. And, you know, I had at each round of chemo, I had someone with me who sat with me the entire time. And if something came up, they were available. You know, I have a, I have a notebook full of all of my blood tests, um, full of all of my chemo and radiation appointments and anything that came up with that. They're very good about giving you summaries of your appointments. And so, you know, it kept the list of all my meds, what was prescribed at that time, what I had while I was in chemo. And so at any time, anybody could take a look at that. And if something were to happen to me, they could, by date, figure out what, what had been going on. So, 
you're such a better patient because I walk in and they're like, what's your social security number? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know I had to come here with information. So as you're going through the treatment, um, and see, I have a note from what you said yesterday. Right. This, this, this has sat on my desk for the last 24 hours. Do you need me to read it or do you remember it? I don't remember exactly how we, we phrased it. Um, you know, I, for me, people give what they need to give, not what you need to receive. And you need to have a measure of grace because they're giving from their heart. And it, it doesn't matter what they give they're giving because of their care for you so i don't know how you said what you said but well you said it better the second time than i put it down on the first but i had in my notes people don't help based on what you need but what they can offer give manage handle be in grace and receive i when you said that yesterday it was like often our frustration is we need something and the person next to us, our spouse, our kids, our caregivers, our assigned food delivery person for the week, whatever it is, shows up and brings the complete opposite or, yeah, it's just like, really? This is what I need. And that idea that they don't give based on our needs, but based on what they're able to. And sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's time, sometimes it's emotional and spiritual. And not everybody can give the two hour hug and the quiet sitting next to you, just holding your hand without saying anything. Mm -hmm. And yet that may be what you need. Yeah. And so we start to get frustrated with that person when what we should do is say, look, they're doing, they're, they're pulling from the resources they have at the depth that they can. I just offer you grace. Mm -hmm. And you know, the other piece that's critical is I had to learn how to ask. So it's one thing to just have a meal train and those people bring whatever meals. That's fine because the meal train is just bring a meal for that day. Um, same thing with a driver. I need somebody that can safely get me from A to B. And um, if, if we have a, a conversation in between, if I fall asleep, you know, whatever that might look like is just a bonus. But um, it's those moments you're right when, when they come to visit and they don't know what to do or say, and some would just ask, what do you need from me? And me being able to articulate it, I have no idea. <laughs> just sit here. Um, I don't know if you've read anything about grief, grieving, but um, one of the processes of grief is you wanna be present with people, but you are unable to participate with people. So sometimes having two people in the room and they have a conversation, I would finally be able to relax enough to fall asleep or um, I, I could feel like I was still part of life without the drain of, of talking or engaging in that conversation. I think you brought up a really big piece. When somebody is facing a, an illness like you are or were, there is a process of grief. Yeah. And whether it's a process of grief over this isn't the way I wanted my life to go, maybe it's a feeling of if this doesn't go well, this is where it could end up. All of those things that are going on are very much, and then especially based on the cancer that you have, there's grieving about loss of body parts yeah. and what that means to you and your future and all of the things that go with that. Um, study up on those processes of grief. And I love that idea that Sometimes we want to be present with people. We just don't want to be engaged with them. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I think because I've been pretty vocal about my, my belief in that, that I'm going to accept what people give because they're giving from the heart, not because I need it in that moment. And, and a lot of times, don't get me wrong, it aligned perfectly. And, and their gift matched my need perfectly. But if it didn't, I didn't get frustrated. I just accepted that they weren't able to give me what I needed in that moment. And that's nobody's fault and move on from that. And, um, and I think you brought up a really good point yesterday, too, when I told you that, you know, being, being the Midwesterner that I am, we always got to keep the score sheet even, never be beholden to anybody, you know, settle that score, repay that debt, send that thank you card, get, the, get back to zero as quickly as you can, was kind of my, my dad's mentality. And um, when you're in a process like you are, you had said, I can't do it. I just, I, if they gave it, I have to receive it. Yes. I can't even begin to think about how to go beyond a simple thank you because that would require the energy that I need to heal and the need to, to, to manage what's coming next. Absolutely. That, I, I still, I, <laughs> I say this as a very weak individual. That, that would, when I say that would kill me, that would be really hard. And it's not that I don't receive things and have gratitude for them, but I always feel like sometimes like there's that trampoline effect of, you know, you give, you get, you receive, so you have to give. And I love the way you sort of helped me with that yesterday when we were talking is, well, maybe you don't have to give right now. Maybe you've given in the past or there's a place in the future. So a friend of mine, um, and this has been years ago, and um, I brought her and her family to Christ, you know, through our service, and, and um, which really wasn't the point. She was already a believer, just looking for that right place and time to join, and um, she, she pointed out to me that I help so many people that it's important for me to just receive the help when others can give it, and so, you know, she didn't have a lot of money. She had four kids to take care of. She was um, go get her trying to get her AA degree and trying to do all this. So she, but she needed help quite a bit and she learned to receive that help. But she also taught that there are times when it's okay to be weak and to just receive it and not, not keep tally, not give back to just be in that moment. And, and what it does is it strengthens that relationship and that friendship because that person now feels more equal to you in that relationship than they had before. If you're always bending down, people notice. And when, when they bend down to lift you up, um, it's a very empowering thing. So allowing that gift to be received without the return sometimes is a better gift and a better thank you. I like that. Somebody had told me once something to the effect of, Eric, we know you could do it all but allow other people the experience of doing it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but I got it. And they're like, we know. Yeah. But maybe somebody has been looking for an opportunity to do something right. that you're trying to get it all blocked. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't my intention. It was just no. to answer the call. And sometimes not answering the call is what other people need. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes with the D personality type, that's where you want to go is just get it done. And you might step on a few people that are getting it done in the process. And 
So being observant to that. And, but, but the real part is allow yourself to be weak in your weakness. It's not a character flaw. Um, stuff happens and accept that help in the, in the spirit in which it was given and, and don't keep score. He's so wise. He's so wise. <laughs> Even all cuddled up there in your blanket. Yeah. I'm still cold. We'll I might need another. Those, we'll have to get you one of those snuggles or whatever the ones with the arms are. There we go. Yeah. I'm, I have, it's so sort of as a side joke, everybody in our house has their blankets. Mm -hmm. And apparently mine is the coveted blanket. You know, we can't go out and buy for the exact. Oh, no, right. You know, yeah. So I'm always hunting mine down and my son will steal. He's like, but yours is the best. I'm like, so what? Yeah, we all have a blanket. So, in fact, we each have two. So. So you, so you can share your comfort. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're done with chemo and radiation and all of that. You're in resting and healing mode. Mm. No, Is it true? Not really. Um, oh. uh, so, <clears throat> you know, it was supposed to be six weeks. I did six weeks of chemo every Monday, so six rounds. I did um, six rounds of radiation, so one round five days a week for six weeks. And uh, based on the tumor, uh, what I discovered long, long way into the radiation is they radiated a lot of area. And so I had a lot of immediate side effects and a lot of long lasting side effects that nobody really warned me about until I was down the road. Um, because the tumor so didn't you know, originate, say that again? You're, it wasn't gamma radiation, was it? Yeah, no, I don't, I, I'm not gonna hulk it up anytime soon, okay. I hope, but, but they, um, they didn't really tell me that my tumor didn't originate in one location that they could pinpoint. It just formed in the middle of my abdomen. And so there's, they had no location, no focal point to focus on and then spread it around. So the tumor touched uh, my intestines. We were able to get clear margins because they took part of my colon out. So they, they didn't really radiate that too much except, and I'll get to that, the tumor was on my um, my ureter, so the the line that goes between your kidney and your bladder, and which incidentally caused a um, nine millimeter uh, kidney stone that we had removed before we knew that I had cancer. <laughs> uh, Sorry, squirrel. Well, it's the size of a bullet, and it had arms on it, so it was what was called a jack stone. It was like a jack; it was never coming out on its own. Thank God. So um, anyway, um, and then, um, so anywhere that tumor had once existed, they were radiating for minor microscopic particles. And so I had a six centimeter one, uh, you know, a grapefruit, and it was lobed. So it was in a couple of different locations. So they, they radiated my lower abdomen, and then they moved the table and radiated my upper abdomen with some lymph nodes they wanted to make sure um, got the radiation. And so I had a lot more going on than I knew about. And so I developed a lot of side effects. Proctitis, which is inflammation of the lining of your rectum, your lower intestine, um, all of that. So it was like um, hot soup 
um, same with because it was radiating. I remember energy. those videos. Yeah, um, <laughs> you could feel it burning, and it wasn't what you ate. It was the lining of your intestine that was coming out. And so um, I was in excruciating pain daily, and we didn't get it managed until – well, we didn't truly get it managed until I was back in the hospital um, with a transfusion and a C. diff a, a month ago, which was two weeks after the end of my treatment. Which was interesting because, as I said, you've been really good about just giving updates through Facebook when you were speaking about that and how you were trapped because, and I don't remember the official, but it was like you were allowed seven days of paid medication because of the county and the state and the treat. Like you were having to fight legislative issues yeah. because you lived on one side of the street versus the other side of the street and your insurance would only issue. And it's like, people, it takes everything I have to get up and go to the doctor to get the pain medicine. Right. It's not like I'm walking up and down the street, passing out Oxycontin yeah. and trying to make 10 bucks a pill. Yeah. And that, you know, it, it became, I was hoarding pills, trying to get through, you know, how long can I go? And so I got behind on the pain, which everyone that's ever had a surgery says never, ever, ever do. And it began to cascade. The other piece of that was, because I wasn't making blood and needed a transfusion because I probably had C. diff even at home, I was getting sicker and sicker and, and pain meds weren't going to cut it. So I, I needed treatment. And I think that you was um, trying to think who it was the other day that we were talking about that often during the cancer, Oh, tomorrow um, that often during this process, marriages fall apart. Mm. And when marriages fall apart, insurance falls apart. Well, we're self-insured. And so each of us pay our own way. Um, you know, Dave's been nothing but reassuring. We're in this together forever. It doesn't matter. And I'm with the exact right person that I need to be with for as long as I have you. And so it's been, from that sense, it's been very comforting and reassuring. But I do know the burden that's been placed on him, both emotionally physically, you know, he had to take care of everything. And so I was his partner in the business. I was his partner in the household. I was everywhere 50-50. And for me to be 0% and him to pick up that slack, and I just thank God for our parents. They bailed us out financially numerous times and may continue to do so since I'm still not 100%. Yeah, you know, it I hear this song, and I'm not going to sing it because everybody knows I don't sing, mm -hmm. but that I surrender all. Mm. Yeah, and that I think I, I got to that point where I had to be okay laying there. I had to be okay saying, I need water, I need food, I need help getting to the bathroom. And surrendering all of my physicality, all of my even the emotional piece, you know, there's a lot of nights with God and, you know, okay, God, I, I got to have pain, but can I have a little less pain? Do I have to have pain today? Can we do something to, you know, <laughs> mitigate this just for a little while and, and move on? So. I know we always see God sort of as a blackjack dealer. Like, um, I'll take, <laughs> like, hit me, but, but somewhere between seven and 10, don't, you know, right. or, or no face cards, God, I just need low numbers. Um, I don't, I think, 
when I listen to your story and I listen to the thoughts from this conversation, the journey, that journey has really been about layering and layering of surrendering. Mm -hmm. Like I had to give up trying to know everything. Then I had to give up trying to control everything. And then learning to ask for things without having. So now you're dealing with the post chemo and radiation issues. You're patching up and putting things back together and waiting to see how things settle down. Mm -hmm. How do you surrender not jumping up and running back into work, running back into productivity? Well, part of the healing and recovery process is, is you need to push yourself a little bit. I mean, I have zero muscle mass. I weigh less than I weighed in college when I was in the best shape of my life playing basketball. And uh, obviously that ratio of muscle is far different than it was 25 years ago. And so um, it's more about the frustration is more about trying to figure out where that line is because everybody says, don't push too hard. But then there's an expectation that you're able to walk, do laundry, take a shower without getting dizzy. And I don't have that yet. So figuring out where that push point is, is difficult and frustrating. And I know, and that's why some people are always like, why do you call her your tall sister? Because you're taller than me. I don't, you're like five foot 32 inches. <laughs> but I was, and to call you my older sister or my big sister would, uh, wouldn't fit. So you're my, my tall sister. Pushing yourself. So you have the emotional push, you have the mental push, and you have the physical push. And you sit on the city council and also the school board or your role on the city council as the school board rep. I am the mayor of Weston, and then I'm also the vice chairman of the school board in our, in our communities. Okay. I should be calling, your, calling you the honorable. <laughs> Sorry. Please do not send me a letter from the mayor's office. No. Oh, as the mayor, you can proclaim your own day, can't you? No, I don't think so. I think that, that violates some ethics rule, but. But you could proclaim an Eric day. There you go. Or a fun friend Friday day. There you go. Today we proclaim today. Fun, fun friend, friend Friday. Friday Very good. There we go. Oh, we got a proclamation, you guys. Ooh, I feel tingling. <laughs> <laughs> ah, thank you, Miss Mayor. Absolutely. Madam Mayor, Madam Mayor. And I know that comes from wanting to be a servant, wanting to give the best back to others. Um, that's always been your heart. That's what I've always admired and loved about you is that you walk in ready to serve. You show up and whatever the task at hand is, it can be one of those wonderful sit at the front of the room and be, you know, wise or having to get out and dig a ditch and get muddy and dirty and ugly. You like, look, I said I was ready to serve. You just needed to assign me. Mm -hmm. As you move forward, and now we have to start another five-year countdown clock. What is that going to look like the second time through? Uh, well, I think one of the things that happened is um, I don't have as many chips to play in this game. 
So the radiation is a one-shot deal. So if it comes back in my pelvis, really bad things happen. Um, and if it comes back somewhere else, then you decide how you want to treat it based on where it came back. But it's, it's not good. I mean, if it comes back, it's not good. And um, I think the hardest part is that I'm so physically down now that the thought of it being back so quickly is truly devastating because I don't have the energy to do it again. Whereas, you know, next year or two years or three years down the road, when this has faded and I have my strength back, then I may be ready to go another round with the big C. But it's, so right now I just, I, I'm hanging on to the fact that they, they got all the tumor out, open abdominally, so there's less chance of microscopic fragments. They then radiated any of those microscopic fragments and they treated it with chemo to just put the icing on the cake. And so I'm, I'm hanging on to that fact that regardless of how large the tumor was, they removed everything and followed the treatment protocol just like it was the first time. So I'm in some way trying to reset that clock and not, um, and think of this as my first time because it's my first time with treatment other than surgery. And so I'm hoping this is a do-over that will fix it. So, where two or more agree, so if we could all agree, and you got a couple people watching here, so we have more than two, that everything that's been done has been done to the highest degree, and it's been the most aggressive, form, aggressive treatment available, there is no cancer in you at this moment, the facts, because we know how you like those facts, the facts report that as of today, you're cancer-free. Right. No, you have to say that. Okay. Based on the treatment, the facts are that I am cancer-free today. So the only thing I have to do now is heal and recover. So the only thing I have to do now is heal and recover. All right. So we got a new five-year clock. Yes. And this one, we're going to run out to the 50-year mark. Absolutely. Because you're cancer-free. Yes. You're cancer-free. Then we have a CT scan in the middle of July, hopefully, to prove that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm qualifying, oh, aren't I? Nelly would not let us add that statement, because now you've just canceled as of today. With the information provided, the facts given in the treatment that I have, cancer does not live within me. As of today, with the treatment I was given, the facts I've been given, cancer does not live within me. And you don't need to check that on Wikipedia or Medical MD or PinkRibbon.com <laughs> or whatever. I can't spell half the things that are wrong with me, so that's why I can't Google them. Oh, there you go. That <laughs> makes it a lot easier. <laughs> I truly am ignorant on some things, um, which is bliss, as they say. I'm holding to it. You're cancer-free. Okay. And as too. I tell my children, I'm never wrong. <laughs> Excellent. Because <laughs> I pay the mortgage up in here. <laughs> well, I just want to put a Ryan Reynolds post out here that we're trying to get his attention on this. I think that his movie had a lot to say about cancer, his 
F cancer hashtag is pretty important and um, I'd like to catch his attention and make sure that we, we can continue having an open and honest conversation about what happens with cancer treatment. So. I, I, okay, so anybody, y'all got to send this to Ryan, um, Ryan Reynolds. But I honestly, because there were moments during your conversations, I was just like, I got to leave the room, mm -hmm. um, forgetting that you were actually in my hand through Facebook. <laughs> because, and it's, I know this sounds so stupid, but it was like, I had never thought about needing the right bathroom, like, or a bathroom, or what do you do when you have to travel three hours for cancer, you know, treatment, chemo, whatever, and you have to go to the bathroom. It's not like you want to pull into the IHOP and be exposed to all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, we experienced it a bit with my daughter because I can't necessarily go in the ladies' room mm -hmm. um, and she can't go in by herself, but it's a different, or how do you travel three hours in a car when you're in excruciating pain mm -hmm. and arrive, like, just your daily journey exhausted absolutely and I, so again i was amazed at the things that i was learning during that and then confronting doctors and then having to have trainees trying to take blood work from you and not even knowing what they were supposed to be doing you reported you know somebody was taking the wrong blood work and making the wrong and they're like look check the chart again i'm not an idiot you were having to be in management productive event planner mode and be in patient mode. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had people comment on my ability to, to balance that, to, to know and to pay attention and to be alert, even though I was, you know, in pain or distracted or emotional in that moment, because unintentionally they could kill you. And so you just, you got to be aware of what's going on. And the whole time you were giving them each character names from your favorite movies. Yes. <laughs> Which was really hard for me because I'm not the movie buff like you. Mm -hmm. So I'd have to like, what does she mean by Frau whatever? I'm like, <laughs> is that really her nurse's name? So once I got the rhythm, I got pretty good. Good, you know? good. I got pretty good. So where do we go next with your story? Are you going to continue to share the recovery? Are you, like, I know you, you're always, where can I serve and what can I do next with what I've got? Well, and I asked, so my, one of my last posts was, do you guys want to know about recovery? Does that matter or is it enough that I'll send a picture that I'm, you know, back in the saddle again and everybody really wanted to know more. The thing that's held me back is I haven't, I don't feel like I'm recovering. So this week, um, well, last Friday I was in the ER with four kidney stones, two on the right, two on the left. And so the left ones won't pass because I have the stent and the right ones may or may not have already passed. So I'm dealing with a lot of pain still with that. Um, and then I still have a lot of dizziness. So I'm not sure if I'm actually making blood and that the transfusion was enough to kickstart me or if I need to go back in, check my blood counts and start all over again. And then what that means if I continue to not make blood. And so Chemo is the, the gift that kept on giving. It, it is the, um, you know, from the movie, it is the, and I can't think of what it's called now, but it, it's still trying to kill me. And just because I stopped taking it doesn't mean that it's not still inside me working hard. So. 
So I would, you know, the coach at me, the mindset person, the meditative me would say that I would need a list every morning of things that I need my body to do. And I would tell my body, this is your assignment today. I need you to make some blood for me. I need you to flush out the chemo and whatever else is on that agenda. I need you to create, you know, I need you to uh, heal and, and I would just give my body because you and I both know we've all been through Think and Grow Rich and mm -hmm. Asthmatic Think and the power of the mind kind of thing. That if I tell my body what I need it to do, it will blush when it blushes. It cries when it cries. It poops when it poops. And my son can fart on command <laughs> because he can tell his body to do that. That if I told my body, I need you to make blood, I need you to flush the kidneys fully, I need you to eradicate the that you're a pretty determined woman, I think your body would listen. Okay, I'll try that for sure. I mean, what's the harm? It's not going to cost you anything and you don't have to report it on your insurance. Right, they won't charge me for it. <laughs> no, but I, I, it's what I believe and it's, I, I know you get a lot of advice and we talked about this the other day that everybody has an idea and a treatment mm -hmm. and a plan and you showed me again sort of that grace that you have, it's like, okay, thank you. And then you go off and you process it because you understand that people are giving from what they have, not from what maybe you need. Right. And so that's what I give. I don't have a lot of cooking skills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so can't help you with that. And I'm too far away to drive. Yep. So I can't help you with that. And uh, you know, you know, between you and me, if you, 2 a.m., if you got to call somebody and complain, you can call my cell phone. I may or may not pick up. I yeah. can't guarantee. But I will be always here for you to do. It's like 2 a.m. and I'm not going to the internet. So I'm calling you instead. Yeah. I got you, tall sister. Excellent. Thank you. I, I love that you're cancer free today. That gives me such joy to know that you are cancer free today. Absolutely. Anything you want to tell people as you cuddle up in your blanket and people she's in her blanket because her family doesn't love her enough <laughs> to turn the thermostat above. <laughs> um, you know, just that moment of gratitude again, I was kind of running through my mind last night, all the, all the people that have helped. And so um, the East Umatilla County Rural Fire Department, they served more meals to my family throughout the, the six weeks than I could even count. They signed up, signed up, signed up, signed up for everything. And Listen to her. She's complaining because she got sexy firemen coming up to her door. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then, you know, my friends, Ketty, Elizabeth, uh, Jessica, Connie, people who stopped in any hours of the day or night, stopped in at the hospital, just um, texted. I mean, I can't, I can't number those. The people who drove spent their own gas money, their own time on a weekday. So they took off of work or found some way to make it work when they had other things going on to be able to drive me an hour and a half one way, sit for however long during treatment and turn around and, and bring me home when I was in misery. Um, you know, I, one and a relatively new friend, uh, my friend Joe, he got to see me in the fetal position in the middle of my living room floor because I couldn't make it. I, I was behind on my pain meds. I didn't know when I'd get another script and I had to go to Tri-Cities to get one. And so um, now, well, I will say that that helped him to be my advocate much more fiercely than I might have been um, in terms of get this woman some pain meds and get this under control. So, um, but, you know, people see you at, 
at your absolute downest moments and they're there for you. And that's truly humbling and I'm truly grateful. Well, I know that they are only returning a small echo of what you've given into the world. Um, you have, I've seen you in action. You don't hold back when you have the opportunity to serve. And I think that's just being echoed back for you to see. I love the lessons you gave us today about learning to receive in grace from where they give, not from what you need. Mm -hmm. From not being afraid to have those 2 a.m. mornings where you just sit in the bed and cry because you've just, you, there's not enough information to calm your soul. Right. I love that idea that maybe too much knowledge isn't a good thing and let the experts know the experts and just to know you. And then just that idea of surrender all and how much all is. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes we walk through life saying, oh, I surrender all, but we're like only surrendering the top 1%. Right. And you have shown me what surrender all, all looks like. Yeah. And you and I both know as people of faith that when we can finally hit the all is when he can become all right. that he can become. Right. And then we can become all that we can become. Yeah. So that's a big lesson for me today. I'm going to have to walk and talk on that one later today, if that's okay. Yeah, I'm still thinking on it myself, so. Because I'm a, I know I'm a, I'm a one percenter, and that's not the good one percenter that Bernie Sanders talks about. It's the <laughs> other one percenter. <laughs> See, I can do movie and political There you go. Just like you. I, I, that one came quick. I, that must have been given to me because <laughs> I couldn't do that on my own. Dear, I love you. I love you. You are an amazing, courageous, tall sister. I send you love and energy. I'm joyful that you are cancer-free and that in four years and 360-some days, we're going to be blowing out a cake and saying, screwed you, cancer. Yes. Hey, two or two, we're two or more, and I got Gail, and I got Barbara, and I got whole bunch of people who I haven't acknowledged I apologize over here sending hearts and love and there's Helen um, they'll reach out to you probably later in the day um, do me a favor guys when I say share this out it's not an ego thing it's there's somebody that maybe this week maybe next month maybe a year from now will be having the C word conversation is whether it's in themselves or in their family and maybe the little bit of insight that Jennifer provided us will help guide them through that journey. Mm -hmm. um, or they may be in the middle of that journey and just need a, a mentor and a coach and a guide. And that's why Jennifer was here today. So I never know where Facebook Lives go and I never know where Fun Friend Fridays go. And it always surprises me. Um, just spilled my coffee for you, dear. Um, it always surprises me when like three or four months later, somebody will send me a message about, I saw this fun friend Friday with your friend Jennifer, and it's, I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. We all live in echoes of activities that we've done, all live in echoes of actions that we've taken. So I don't know. I don't know. Right. But I'm just saying. Yeah. So I appreciate you. Now cuddle up, 
relax. It's only what, 6 a.m. there? Yep, I'm headed back to bed. <laughs> go back to bed. I'll see you and speak to you later. Get by everybody else. Go out and live your life with success today, and I'll see you Monday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern. Bye-bye. Thanks, Peter. Eric. Bye-bye. Often after finishing an interview like that, I get back into production mode. I'm able to take that live video and transfer it to an audio and get it up on a podcast. But today was a little different. I needed time to process all that I had learned with Jennifer and really come to terms with the idea of what is surrendering all and how do we make that journey? And is that journey possible without having to face such a monumental challenge, such earth-shattering news as cancer and all that went with it. So I hope you'll take some time after this and just set aside and, and think, what does it mean to surrender all? And what does it mean to receive with grace? And what does it mean not to have to keep score? It's one of the things I love about doing these Fun Friend Friday interviews. They open up a new way of thinking for me. So I hope you'll join me for another episode of Success Life Radio. And ultimately, maybe you'll join us on a Facebook Live Fun Friend Friday. Well, until we get together, be well, my friends. Be well. Success Life with Eric G. Reed. Learn to live your life with success.